Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. And I want to speak today about uh, one of the most surprising verses in the Bible, which has also been absolutely formative for us in the 24-7 prayer movement as we prayed nonstop over the last 17 years. And uh, this is Exodus chapter 33, uh, and we're going to start by reading verses 1 to 3. Uh, you may want to look it up on your phone, or um, if you're old school, you've got a book. Anyone got the Bible in book format here today? Yes, a few. Some young, young lads here. That's amazing. Some of you are going, I didn't know you could get it in a book. You can get the Bible in a book as well. Uh, but if you're, uh, if, if you're reading the Bible on your phone, don't play Angry Birds or you'll go to hell. Uh, so where well, they play Angry Birds continually. So Exodus 33 verses 1 to 3. It's near the start. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hizzites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. You don't get that on many kind of Instagram, you know, pages or Christian posters. God says, I'm not coming with you. You're on your own, pal. Well, that's what he says here. Um, If any of you have got any Christian friends, you could play a trick on them now. You could text them. Just say, I really sense Exodus 33.3 for you this morning. And just see how many will come straight back and go, thanks, that really spoke to me because they haven't looked it up. Uh, Exodus 33, God says to the people of Israel, uh, you know, off you go into the promised land. Everything you've dreamt of, everything you've longed for, for generations is about to happen. All your prayers are about to get answered, but you're on your own. I'm not coming with you. You've been the people of God, but you're just going to become the people of. <laughs> you're on your own. That's what, that's what God's saying in this, in this moment. What's this all about? Well, let's jump to verse 14 uh, of this uh, the, the same passage. So what happens is Moses uh, says to God, no deal. No deal. If you don't come with us, we, we don't want to go into the promised land. No deal. And uh, of course, we all kind of think, yeah, that's the right answer. It's like kids in Sunday school. The, an- the answer is always Jesus. You know, we, we're just programmed to say the right thing. Uh, but, but, but it's not an easy thing to say. You imagine if um, God sp- appeared to you tonight and said, all your prayers are going to get answered overnight. Everything you've dreamt of. You're going to wake up tomorrow and friends you've, you've longed to come to know Jesus are going to email you saying, I've met an angel in the night and I've, I'm becoming a Christian. You're going to get a, a letter in the post saying you've inherited millions of pounds from a relative you didn't know existed. Uh, 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 sicknesses are going to get healed. Everything you ever dreamt of and prayed for is going to happen tomorrow. And you're getting all excited about it. And then he says, but you're never going to experience my presence again the way you do right now. What do you do in that moment? And of course, ultimately, we would say no deal. Because to lose the presence of God is to lose everything. But it's not nearly as easy 
a Sunday school answers we might want to make out, is it? And so Moses says to God, no deal. We're not moving forward unless you come with us. And God replies, verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, now show me your glory. The thing that sets Ivy apart in Manchester isn't your brand, it isn't your program, it isn't where you meet, it is the presence of God. If you don't have the presence of God, you ain't got nothing. You're just some religious outlet for some weird thing that you're trying to market. But if you've got the presence of God, you've got everything. If you're a Christian, you know this is true. You know that you can get everything in life, but if you lose the presence of God, you've lost everything that means anything anyway. You also know, if you've been a Christian a while, that tough things come. You go through hard times, but if you know God with you, even in the midst of the problems, then it's okay. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Do you know what? We always pray for God to airlift us out of our problems. We call that a miracle. More often in my experience, He parachutes in and joins us in the middle of them. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. And so if you've got the presence of God, you've got everything. If you lose the presence of God, you've lost everything. If you're here and you're not sure if you're a Christian, uh, some of this stuff's a little bit unusual, a little bit uh, weird to you. Let me just say this. We believe that there is a God who made you. Your life is not an accident. You're not just some fluke. Your life has purpose. You feel that deep down. Don't kid me that you don't. And we believe that that God who made you loves you. He thinks you are brilliant. We can sit around talking about all the problems in the world, but you know there's even more wonderful stuff when you see that newborn baby, when you watch the sun rise the way it did this morning as I saw a beautiful pink sky. When you look at the complexity of life and how it all fits together perfectly deep down, you know there's goodness behind this creation. And we believe that that God saw us screwing it all up and He sent His Son, Jesus, to say, I'll show you what I'm like because you're so thick, you people. You can't understand me unless you see me as one of you. And so God came as a human being. What could be more logical? And He walked around as one of us. He talked like one of us. But He was unlike anyone who'd ever lived before. He was kind and He was forgiving. Kids loved hanging out with Him. He was uh, hilarious. He confronted injustice. He stood up for the poor and eventually they crucified Him. And because by definition, he was the creator of life, you can't really keep a man like that down. And three days later, he came back to life and he's alive now and he's running the whole show from his new headquarters, heaven, still doing the stuff he did 2000 years ago, still answering prayers, still healing the sick, still breaking into people's lives, still championing the poor, still befriending the lonely. That is the God that Christians, two billion of us, by the way, on earth, are celebrating and gathering around today. And uh, you know, to know him is to know everything. To know Him is to know everything's going to be okay. To know Him, no matter what happens in life, is to know that you have one who loves you and has a plan for your life and can guide you and lead you. And so that's why Moses is here going, no deal. If I get everything I ever dreamt of, but I lose you, I lose everything. I've got this uh, friend, he grew up in Birmingham. Pray for him. And uh, he... uh, He's a great guy. He got himself into a real mess, got, did a lot of drugs, became a dealer. And then, um, 
he came along to church one day and um, he, he just experienced the, the presence of God. Uh, he began to buzz and rush and have these feelings of peace he had never had before. He said, I need to meet up with you, man. So I had a coffee with him. He said, I've got an economic problem, man. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, I had these experiences. Normally I have to pay a lot of money on drugs to get them. And I got them by coming into your church. Is that what always happens in church? I said, yeah, it's kind of a lie. <laughs> he said, well, that's an economic problem, man, because, you know, it's free. For you, and normally I have to pay a lot of money for it. Uh, and I said, well, look, really, the presence of God isn't about feeling. It's not about experience, about the truth of Jesus Christ. So we began to study the Bible together, and eventually I led him to Jesus. And then he moved in with my wife and me and, and uh, began to came, come off drugs and all this kind of stuff. And then as he was processing all of that, his dad died back in Birmingham. And, um, you know, he, he went up for the funeral, and his stepmom said to him, hey, would you like something to remember your dad by? So, of course, he said, yeah. So she said, why don't you pop upstairs? They're in their house. Pop upstairs, choose anything that you want of your dad's to remember him by. So Paul went upstairs, and he chose a sweater, okay? Uh, and, uh, and whenever he wore this sweater, he's just feeling really close to his dad. And so, because... Like I knew he was having a moment when he wore it. I, I never liked to tell him it was too small for him and looked terrible on him, okay? Uh, he's kind of a hippie. He's got long hair, and he calls even his mum man, and, you know, and he, he drinks a bit of beer, and he's got a bit of, little bit of a belly on a skinny body. It's never a good look, and, you know, he's wearing this tight sweater. But I always just go, oh, Paul, it's so nice to see you wearing the sweater, because I knew, like, you know, he's having this moment when he wears it. Then a few weeks later, his mum comes down to see him. He's still living with us, so she's in our house. And he said, I've got an idea. She'd like to see me wear the sweater. I said, that's a really nice idea. So Paul goes upstairs to put the sweater on. She's sitting down there drinking cups of tea. Eventually, Paul comes in the room wearing the sweater. She takes one look at him and says, Paul, what are you doing wearing my sweater? <laughs> I've been looking for that for weeks. The idiot had gone to the wrong wardrobe. All this time he's been feeling close to his dad, but it's his mum's sweater. We're so often like that in our relationship with God. We have all these substitute things that give us a sense of being close to the Father. We live this vicarious faith, this secondhand faith. We outsource our prayer life to godly old ladies. We tell other people's stories. We go to church, we do all the religious stuff and at some point God blows a whistle and goes, when are we gonna cut out the middleman and you and me just get close? You and me just talk. You and me just do the friendship thing. Well, are you talking about the friendship with me thing all the time? And so there's this invit invitation from the Father heart of God into intimate presence with Him. Do you choose me or do you just choose the stuff that I do for you? So let's be really practical about this. How do we do this? Because right now, it's all been metaphor, okay? How do we walk with God's presence? Well, in this Bible passage, there are three really practical keys. And so we're gonna jump back in. We're gonna go back to verse four, straight after the bit where God said, I'm not coming with you. Because I might destroy you if I do. Verse four. What happens? How do the people respond when God says, all your prayers are going to get answered, but I'm, you're on your own? This is what they do. And it sounds really weird, but I'm going to explain it. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, fine, 
and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people, and if I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. What is that about? You're on your own, says God. Oh dear, take off my ornaments. Well, these ornaments, stop thinking Christmas tree decorations. I know it sounds weird. It's jewellery, right? They take off their jewellery. There's loads of jewellery in this room, probably now earrings and necklaces and wedding rings and all kinds of stuff. They took off their jewellery. Why did they do that in response as well? If you go back to the chapter before Exodus 32, you find that the people of Israel have done a really bad thing with their ornaments, with their jewellery. What they have done is they have melted down all of their jewellery and they have turned it into a golden calf. Okay, uh, whilst, whilst Moses up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, that's what they're busy doing. By the way, um, bowing down to uh, a golden calf is one of the few temptations I don't struggle with in life. Uh, it's so nice to have something which I've got full breakthrough. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no desire at all to melt down my jewellery, bow before. It's like I am in complete freedom on this one. If that's a word for anyone today, you've been wrestling, you know, with that whole thing, the golden calf thing, or maybe other animals, a small pig or, you know, guy, I, I've been sent here to speak to you. I'm in complete freedom on this one uh, today. I'm, I'm, ple I'm pleased to tell you. Um, so what's that about? Well, for the people of Israel, I mean, they're burning, they, they, they created this island, they're bound down to it because they want to look like other people. They've looked at the tribes and the people all around and they have, they don't just talk about God vaguely, they have this physical God. It might look like a golden calf and they're going, we want one of those. And suddenly I'm feeling a little more challenged because I often look at what other people are bowing down to and I want to bow down to it too, their career or their money or their nice house. And suddenly I'm realising maybe the whole golden calf thing is a little bit more of a challenge challenge than I realise and often it's to do with money and stuff. They didn't have visa cards, they didn't have bank accounts, they had jewellery. It's what they were doing with their money. There are times in all of our lives when stuff can distract us from the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, throw off everything that hinders you so that you can run the race. You imagine, um, you know, it's, it's the Olympics. You know, Mo Farah is about to run his race and he, and he comes out and he's, he's wearing a woolly hat. And everyone's like, take the hat off, Mo. He's like, no, I love this hat. No, take the hat, it's a bad idea. No, my kids knitted this hat for me. You just go, Mo, take the hat off. Throw off everything that hinders you to run the race. Now, for the people of Israel, the jewellery clearly wasn't intrinsically wrong in that they had had it before. They'd melted it down and made a golden calf. They got into big trouble for it. Now they've got their jewellery again. So clearly it's not intrinsically wrong, but there are seasons in our lives when certain things become our weaknesses. They are our vulnerable places. They are our distractions. And we have to lay them down. We often think that in life, the big decision is to choose between what's good and what's bad. But that isn't the big choice. The big choice in life is between what's good and what's God. You can spend your whole life burning out, exhausting yourself, chasing good ideas and somehow lose the presence of God along the way. If you choose bad stuff over good stuff, you're just stupid. 
repent, choose the good, choose life, unplug from death. Good idea. But once you've done that, what do you do? What you have to do after that is you have to start choosing God. What are you saying to me? Where is your presence? What is your plan for my life? And sometimes really good stuff can be distractions from that. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe TV and social media can at times, at seasons of our life where God is inviting us to choose His presence in a new way. Maybe that stuff, which isn't wrong, but it can become a distraction. Or put it positively, laying that stuff down for a while could create some space in your life to choose God in prayer and study and fellowship and whatever else. Extreme busyness. You know, there's times when we all get busy. Sometimes Jesus was so busy that he didn't have time to eat. He got busy. It's not intrinsically wrong to be busy. But sometimes if we live our whole lives with extreme busyness because we're so driven to make our mark in the world or make a bit more money or impress someone or get a promotion, sometimes if we worship that thing, then it can become a very dangerous distraction in our lives. And we need to decide, you know what, I'm not going to put in that extra bit of overtime. I'm not going to take on that latest project because I just want a little more bandwidth in my life, a little more space to prioritize the presence of God. Unhealthy relationships can be distractions that we're sometimes called to deny, our ornaments. Now, relationships are clearly good, but there are some times and some places and some relationships that we know can pull us down and distract us from what we know is most important in life. And there are times when we're called to lay even those down. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I do know this that when you're in a time of great transition and the people of Israel were in a time of great transition, they were being called into a change of geography, right? They're going to cross into a new place. They're being called into a new uh, political situation. They're, they're about to transition from Moses' leadership to Joshua's leadership. They're being called into transition culturally. They're going to move from being nomads walking in the desert to being people who have to plant crops, an agrarian society that will actually grow their food. It's a new economy. They're, they're going to transition spiritually. They've been used to God's guidance being really easy. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, and that's about to stop. And they're about to have tabernacle and temple and try and work out how to hear God in new ways. And so everything is changing for them geographically, culturally, politically, spiritually. And at those times, those are the moments when God comes to us and says, do you choose my presence? Because the single most important decision you can make when you're a moment of transition is to choose the presence of God because that will set the DNA for the next season of your life. People often think that all times of your life are equally important. That is not true. There are times in your life, times of transition that will set the trajectory for the next week, month, year, even decades of your life. And there are many people here, you're in a moment of transition. It might be geographical transition. You might be moving. You might have just moved to Manchester. It might be that uh, you're in a political transition. We are globally right now. Look at the Donald Trump thing in America. Look at Brexit. Marie Le Pen stirring up for France. We're in a time of phenomenal political transition. It might be that you're in a cultural transition. Maybe uh, you've just come here to university or maybe uh, you've just uh, started a new job or maybe you're preparing to get married or maybe you've just had kids. That's the really big transition, by the way. 
Or maybe you're preparing to retire. Maybe you're in a time of theological transition. God's revealing some new things to you about himself. At times of transition, God will appear before you and say, are you going to choose my presence? Because it is so vital that we put first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the other stuff gets added on. And so one of the ways we may respond in those moments is to deny ourselves a few distractions, stuff that is not intrinsically wrong, may even be good stuff, but it's stuff that for this season we know leaves us vulnerable. And by laying it down, we can make a little space for prioritizing God. So that's the first practical key. If you're saying, do you know what? I want to prioritize the presence of God in my life, especially if you're in a time of transition. Deny distraction. The question you've got to ask yourself this morning is this, what might there be that is a distraction in my life? It might be something that is clearly wrong. It might be an addiction, a habit, let's call it a spade a spade, a sin that is eating you up from the inside. You can be free from that today. Confess your sins. God is faithful and just. He'll forgive you your sins and heal you from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. But it might not be a sin. It might be a good thing that he's calling you to lay down. The second practical key we've got in this passage comes in verses 7 to 11. Okay, so we've read 4 to 6. Let's look at verses 7 to 11. This is entitled, The Tent of Meeting. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, and he called it the tent of meeting, catchy. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak, listen to this, to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. The way you train leaders is in the presence of God. It's not about programs, products, other stuff. It's do they know how to truly encounter the presence of God? That's how Moses trained Joshua to win great military battles. Uh, but notice that beautiful verse. God would speak to Moses face to face as someone speaks to their friend. If the first practical key to choosing God's presence is to deny some distractions, the second is to prioritize prayer. Now, that could sound really heavy, so let me tell you a story. So uh, we got these friends, James and Julia. They're like super rich. Uh, he, he runs like 27 companies or something crazy. He used to own Jimmy Choo's and all of that. And uh, they came to us one day and said, do you want to go on holiday with us? Now, that's one of those ones you don't pray about. You just go, yes, I don't know where it is, but yes. Because we kind of, you know, don't go on those kind of holidays. And they said, we've had a little idea. We're going uh, to rent out a catamaran, you know, a dual-hulled yacht uh, just off Croatia. And you can have one hull and we'll have the other. We'll meet in the middle for drinks and nibbles. I said, that's right, I'm there. <laughs> so we had this incredible holiday, sailing around the Aegean, idyllic. And uh, I remember one particular night, we just dropped anchor in this, this little beautiful bay. 
And we, we were just sitting in between the two hulls to have our dinner. You know, the drinks are all around. Some of you right now, you're actually hating me, aren't you? You're literally <laughs> hating me. Get over it. And, um, and it's just perfect. And at this moment, this idyllic moment, these mosquitoes start to uh, attack us. And some of you are thinking, good, I'm glad. <laughs> so my friend James, dear friend, the, the, the posh one, he immediately goes, oh, dear Lord. He became a Christian a few years ago. He goes, oh, dear Lord, just, would you take away these mosquitoes? And as he's praying this, I'm thinking this is a stupid prayer. That's what I'm thinking. I'm technically one of the leaders of a global prayer movement. I'm thinking this is a stupid prayer. I've written books about why this is a stupid prayer. Okay. Uh, the first reason it's stupid prayer is that God is big and busy, right? Like he's kind of tied up in the Middle East right now. He's probably a little more worried about Aleppo than sorting out the alfresco dining arrangements of posh people in the Aegean, right? <laughs> That's the first reason it's a stupid prayer. The second reason stupid prayer is my kids are listening and everyone's like, everyone else, I'm there thinking stupid prayer, everyone's like, oh yeah, I'll take, you know, we rebuke the spirit of mosquito in Jesus' name. Like, you know. and, and I'm thinking the second reason stupid prayer is my kids are listening to this prayer and when, not if, it doesn't work, they will grow up, decide prayer doesn't work and they'll become Satanists. So like, this is what's going on in my head. But unfortunately, as it's going on in my head, this light breeze arises and blows away the mosquitoes and all the rest of the boats are going, oh, thank you, Jesus, you even care about our dining arrangements. I'm thinking, rats! I wanted those mosquitoes to prove my theology. Now, I don't know whether that was a miracle or whether that was just a meteorological fluke masquerading as one, but here's what I do know. That when you pray about the details in life, you live with greater gratitude. If you only ever pray about the big things occasionally, you'll only be occasionally grateful. But when you learn to pray about the tiny things, the small things, the daily things, and especially the inevitable things, give us this day our daily bread. The supermarkets are full of it, people. Hallelujah, a loaf of bread. You'll drive the atheist crazy. When you pray about the small things, the details, the inevitable things, you live with greater gratitude. People say to me, should I pray about a parking space? I say, absolutely. They said, well, what? Said, well, if you ask the Lord for a parking space outside Asda on a rainy Saturday morning, you get one. You end up praising the living God for a patch of concrete. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they say, oh, yes, but are you saying you would, would not have got the space if you hadn't prayed about, I don't know, ask theologians. I just know I want to live with greater gratitude. Your prayer life is at its best when you pray about the small stuff continually. Prioritise prayer. Go out to the tent of meeting. Walk and talk with God and he will walk and talk with you as someone speaks with their friend face to face. Two quick photos I want to show you. Here's one of our 24-7 prayer rooms. Not a very good photograph, but here's the deal. This came with an email saying, this is, this is in Syria, this, this prayer, prayer tent. And they're praying night and day and they're being shot at when they come to pray. And they said, ISIS have just moved into our neighborhood and are killing the brothers and sisters. If that was happening in my town, I would be hiding, but they are seeking the presence of God. I'm humbled and challenged by people like this. The excuses I use for not prioritizing the presence of God in prayer. I'm a little bit busy, a little bit tired. There's a really good box set I want to watch. And here they are with snipers shooting at them, bombs going off their lives in danger and they are prioritizing prayer. Here's another photograph. 
15 years of 24-7 prayer, and the Cardinal Schoenborn of Austria, who was favorite to become Pope, phoned me up and said, would you come and celebrate your 15th birthday in my cathedral? And so we packed it out, St. Stephen's Vienna, World Heritage Site, with people from all over the world praying and worshiping. And it was just the most amazing night, tourists coming in going, wow. And we started thinking, what would happen if the cathedrals of Europe could go from being tourist destinations to houses of prayer once again at a time when Europe doesn't know who it is because it doesn't know where it came from because where it came from is the gospel of Christ. And a few days later, the Archbishop of Canterbury approached me and he said, I've got this little idea. How about on Pentecost Sunday we fill cathedrals with people praying? Will you help me? I said, too right. God's just been speaking to me about it. It's the last Pentecost Sunday. We, we filled Winchester Cathedral Canterbury Cathedral, St. Paul's Cathedral, Coventry Cathedral, St. Michael Belfry in York, with people praying. In fact, Winchester was so full that there were people praying on screens on the outside. They couldn't get into the cathedral. It wasn't a show. It was people coming to pray. And so then I went back and saw the Archbishop. He said, what do we do next? I said, well, we should push in the main in Europe because Europe's in a mess and it's fragmenting and needs prayer. And so he said, okay, I'll write to the Pope and the great patriarch of the Orthodox Church. And they both wrote back and said, we're in. So next Pentecost Sunday, I don't care what kind of church you're from. Let's get the one church together, one spirit, one baptism, one Jesus, one faith. Let's get together as one people somewhere. And when you've got a multi-million pound house of prayer standing at the psychological and geographical heart of every city in Europe, you might as well use them. Why don't we all just get together in these places and do what we did 2,000 years ago, which say, come Holy Spirit. And then when he comes, not if he comes, let's go out and preach the good news of Jesus. And so this thing is growing. It's going crazy. Just come and join us next year. And uh, so it's amazing what happens. We prioritize prayer. Third and final point. Verses 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know who you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. I love this because Moses could so easily at this point have gone, I mean, he's an old man, right? At this point, he's at least 80. He could so easily have gone, I'm kind of a big deal around here. I'm the burning bush guy. I'm the Ten Commandment guy. I'm kind of in the Bible, you know. I'm the Red Sea guy, that's me. I've learned a thing or two in my time. But instead, as an old man before God, prioritizing the presence of God, he says, teach me your ways that I might know you. Listen. One of the first signs of losing God's presence is you lose your hunger to learn from God. When I first got saved, I, would re- I was devouring Christian books. I, 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 if I came to any Christian meeting, I would come to the front and respond. It could have been a, a breastfeeding clinic for Christian women. I'd have been there going, give me breasts. You know, I mean, I was just, and I, I, was at, I responded to everything because I just, I just wanted anything God had for me except breasts. And then the years go on, you start going, oh, what will people think if I respond to that one? <laughs> and your heart begins to get a little hard. And here's old man Moses going, I know nothing. Teach me your ways. When I was a student, the local pizza hut did a deal. Thursdays, as much pizza as you could eat. You paid for one pizza and then you could have as much as you wanted. So... 
We turned it into a competition, obviously. We'd starve ourselves the day before. How many pizzas you managed to eat? You'd walk in that pizza hut, just eating up, like, get just the smell of the, the warm dough and the melting cheese. It's like a worship experience, just stepping in there. You're weeping for your mother. It's like, oh! The first few bites of pizza are exquisite. And then you have a few more, and it's less exquisite. And I stand before you as a man who on one occasion has eaten five pizzas back to back. <laughs> I haven't achieved much in life, but I do want you to know I've achieved that. <laughs> and I can tell you by the fifth pizza, you're forcing every mouthful down with a big slug of water. What's changed? The pizza? Your appetite. God's good. Taste and see the Lord is good. But if you've lost your appetite, he's not going to taste good anymore. One of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray is teach me your ways. Renew my hunger. Make me want to want you. So as we draw this together now, there's different ways that perhaps every person in this cinema could respond. Or if you're watching online on Facebook, that you could respond to. Perhaps for some of, some of us, we know that there is a distraction that we need to deny ourselves in a season of transition in order to prioritize the presence of God. Today is the day. This is the moment to make that choice. Or maybe for some of us, there's a call today to prioritize prayer, to walk and talk with God as a friend in a way maybe you've been neglecting, to cut out the middleman, remember? and just have a one-on-one -on -one with God, not hide behind that sweater that makes you feel close to the Father, but really, it's nothing. Thirdly, finally, maybe for some of us today, the challenge is to renew our hunger to learn and to grow in our faith. If we're honest, there's a little hardness of heart, a little hardening of the arteries that's kicked in. And today we wanna to say, God, I know nothing. Teach me your ways. So in a moment, I'm going to have an opportunity just for some of you to respond to this message. But first, I just want to give an opportunity to anyone here who you're not sure you've ever really clinched the deal with God. You're not sure if you would necessarily call yourself a Christian. And you've seen something, you've heard something today, and you've thought, I, I want that, that presence of God thing. I don't experience God like that. I would love Christianity not to be some religion, but a real relationship where I could walk and talk with God as a friend. Where I could know his presence through the good stuff, but also the bad stuff in life. Maybe when I talk about denying yourself distractions, you know there's some screaming great distractions. There's some pain, there's some mess, there's some brokenness. There's some mess that other people know about in your life, but there's also that mess that no one knows about in your life but you and God. And you know the deal. The Bible calls that stuff sin. It's not trying to spoil your fun. Sin is just the name he gives to anything that eats you up, messes you up, breaks your relationships, causes you to hate the way you feel about yourself, 
destroys the relationships around you and most ultimately destroys the relationship between you and the God who loves you and wants the best for you. And there's really just two simple steps to becoming a Christian. It's just a prayer. You pray, you say, clean me up and count me in. Clean me up, count me in. You say, clean me up because, you know, you've messed up. You're in a mess. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We've sinned. We've been selfish. We've thought stuff and said stuff and done stuff of which we are deeply ashamed. Every one of us is in a mess. But just like when my kids got in a mess when they were little, as a loving dad, I wouldn't just say, well, you're on your own. I, everything in me wanted to pick them up and clean them up. And that's the heart of the father towards you. He just wants to pick you up and clean you up. And he cleans you up of your sin by simply saying, just let go of that stuff. We call it repentance. Just saying, here you go. You can have my crap. Just clean me up. He came on his Jesus and died on that cross to free you from your sin. He paid the ultimate price. It's free, but it is not cheap. It cost him everything. And all you have to do is say, I accept you did that for me. Would you clean me up? And then the second bit of the prayer is this. Would you count me in? Because he does clean you up. He does forgive you your sins. He does give you a fresh start. It can happen today. But then you say, count me in. I'm going to put you first for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow you because following myself has not got me anywhere. Count me into the church. I want to be part of something like this. Ganging up together to make a difference in the world. Clean me up and count me in. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you're here today wanting to pray that prayer, you're not a Christian. Maybe you used to be, but you've been many, many miles away from God. I want you to pray this prayer with me and really mean it. And um, then after we've done that, uh, which I'm going to invite you to put your hand up if you pray this prayer because we want to give you one of these brilliant books that will help you to grow in your new uh, faith. And then after that, I know some of you got to go and collect your kids. So let's all bow our heads now, shall we? We've talked about the presence of God. This is a moment where some people are going to experience God's presence for the first time. So first of all, if you know that you've messed up, you want to get cleaned up today. You want to say sorry for your sins and have a fresh start. You want to accept that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. Here's what I'd love you to do is just quietly, without making any fuss, just could you just put your hand over where your heart is? Just put your hand over where your heart is. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to repeat it quietly really meaning it you can whisper it and just say it in your head but God will hear so here's the prayer ready God I'm so sorry for my sin I've done wrong things I've said wrong things I've thought wrong things Please forgive me for my sins. Please heal me. And please give me a fresh start today. And now the second part of the prayer is this. 
count me in and for this I'm just going to invite you wherever you are if you're praying this prayer and really meaning it just to raise your hand and we're going to pray together so just uh, if you're about to pray this second bit count me in count me into the church count me in I want to be a Christian I want to follow you just raise your hand where you are that's great I know it's a bit scary but it's hard to be a secret Christian so if this that's what you're starting today put your hands up anyone else who's about to pray the second prayer everyone else keep your eyes closed just stick your hands up let's pray Lord Jesus count me in I want to follow you I want to be a Christian I'll put you first please help me Amen thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org forward slash media